Welcome to the Breaking Atoms podcast, where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Chris Mitchell, aka The Actual Factual. I'm going to try and keep this part short and sweet. So usually we record the intros after we do the interviews. But for this interview, I did the intro in one take before the interview and it's fire. So I'm going to keep it and I'm not going to try and do it again because I'll just get it wrong. This week, this one is big for me. This is like you know, bucket list. It's it's up on the whiteboard. I'm joined by Scott Free Jacobs, former A&R of what I think is the best hip hop label of all time, Oat, Loud Records. So me and Scott, we spoke about, you know, the obvious stuff like signing Wu-Tang and Mob Deep, but we also dug a little deeper and we got into it about the Cellar Dwellers and Adriana Evans. No long ting, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, people with jobs, people without jobs, Scott Free Jacobs on the Breaking Atoms podcast. Check it out. When we talk about hip hop in the 90s, this man was an integral part of the holy grail hip hop that we came up on. He was responsible for signing Wu-Tang Mob Deep and his musical foresight meant that he saw potential and future stars before anyone. He's an executive producer, cultural gatekeeper and a former A&R at Loud Records. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, please welcome Scott Free Jacobs to the Breaking <laughs> Atoms podcast. How are Let's you, sir? Breaking Atoms. What's happening, y'all? What's good, Chris? What's good? Thank you so much, man. This is um, this is bucket list for me. Ka. Bucket Come list. Um, early nineteen ninety five. A good friend of mine. I always mention him on this um podcast. His name was Sean Etienne. He gave me a, a collection of tapes. So in this collection, you had Enter the Wu Tang, you had ninety three till infinity, and you had the infamous. Right. So this is when I started my love of line, liner notes, and I kept seeing your name. As my, you know, my, my musical journey escalated, I kept seeing A&R, Scott Free Jacobs, Matty C. And I, over the years, Loud Records has just become, it's my favorite label. Like I'm wearing the infamous, come on, you see, you see, you see what oh, time it is. Oh, with the, with the, with the lime green, with the lime green. <laughs> you, you see what time it right is. Now. I've never even seen that one. Yeah, this is That's the milk crate joint. This is the milk crate <laughs> joint. So this is actually the first gift my wife ever brought me like nine years ago. Wow. So, uh, yeah, she's, um, if I'm prodigy, she's Havoc. So, um, yeah, we have a relationship no like that. Let's no start, let's start. Um, let's just check in, man. How, how has the year been, been for you? Like with the COVID and everything going on? I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely a year change, man, for everybody. So, you know, um, um, you, you never expected it to last this long, right? Uh, when things started hitting last March, you know, it took everybody for a loop, but, you know, um, like I keep saying to people, man, um, you know, I moved from uh, New York city to, uh, California. I live, um, I live about, you know, five blocks away from the beach. I got palm trees. Um, I got a great condo, got a beautiful wife, two healthy kids. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to still send my son to, to college this year. He started his freshman year at the university of Oregon. He had his own room, so he was pretty much able to social distance. He's coming home today. 
uh, for Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, um, I can't, I can't really complain, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, um, there's a lot more people, you know, going through a lot, a lot, a lot of BS right now. And, um, you know, I, I'm blessed. So, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I know we spoke briefly before the election. How are you feeling post-election? <laughs> Honestly, man, um, <clears throat> I, I I just I just want I mean if you you follow me on Twitter you see how I am man about this dude um, I, I you know I'm um, I don't know I think I think he was necessary man he, he you know I, I will admit I was sleeping at the wheel you know what I'm saying and um, when I say that it's it's to say that you know again I'm from Staten Island New York <clears throat> Shaolin as y'all may call it. Um, I went to Catholic school for eight years, from first to the eighth grade. Then later on, I went to prep school. Uh, I was a basketball star, et cetera, smart. Then after that, I went to University of Maryland. But all that said, it's just like, it's amazing to me how many people can really stand by and support um, a, a, a racist, um, a, a bigot, a liar. Um, I, I'm just like, I always wondered how Adolf Hitler took over. And, and came into power. And, you know, after experiencing four years of Trump, I see exactly, you know, how it is. I mean, there's still 70 some odd, 70 some odd million people that actually went back to the booth and voted for this man. And, you know, um, if you're a person of color and you voted for him, I still feel like, you know, there's some Uncle Tom in you. There's some wanting to be accepted. There's some wanting to be down because, I mean, I, I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and white folks, I feel like white people, most white people that voted for them are voting for their privilege. They, 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 they love their white privilege. Other than that, there's nothing else you could tell me. He lies every day. He's lying now. He's disrespecting what we call our democracy. You know, he's undermining it by challenging our election. We look like fools right now for the world. So, I mean, you know, whatever. June, June 21st can't, July, I mean, probably January 21st can't come soon enough, man. I just want him out. People have spoken. I think this was a wake-up call. A lot of first-time voters out there, a lot of young voters that are going to be able to vote in upcoming years. So, you know, this is what we vote for. This is, you know, to protect, uh, you know, our integrity, man. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's all Joe Biden's going to really just give us. Just give us some integrity again. And it's great to see, um, you know, a woman, you know, True. in, in in, in some in some form of power, particularly a black woman, yes, um, it's huge. It's huge. It's all huge. And if if nothing less, yeah, that that that's part of Biden's legacy already. You know, he was vice president under the first black president of the United States, and when he became president, you know, he anointed a black woman. So <laughs> he already he's already a great thing. <laughs> I've never heard it like that, but you know what's crazy, um. I've spoken to a couple of my friends over there and just their energy, they seem just relieved. It's almost like this exhale, like it's coming to an end. And I don't know what the it or the end is, but just to hear that relief is something I've not heard in a long time. Hey, but this guy, this is a guy, man, that's never really been held accountable for his actions. So I'm not really gonna fully exhale until he's up out of that office you know what i'm saying you see what he's doing right now you, you know trying to get all the black votes thrown out in michigan trying to you know going at georgia like just under just just completely like 
I can't even believe he's, they don't run up in the White House right now to, you know, invoke the 25th Amendment and throw him out because he's, yeah. he's dangerous. He's just dangerous to society, man. True. So. True. I mean, you know, good luck to Joe Biden. And I think if he really wants to put a dent in the world, come up with a, a reparations package. I got faith. I got faith. So let's let's go. Let's go back near the beginning. Most most guys or someone like myself, I'm an MC. I started rapping because I wanted cool points. I wanted to impress the girls and the older guys. You decided to be an an A&R at some point. What was the moment and what circumstances were you in where you decided, like, this is what I want to go into? Um, well, <clears throat> just like you, man, I'm an MC too. Um, uh, you know, yeah, anybody out there, you know, you could go check out my little skills or whatever on SoundCloud at the Frozen Files page. Uh, a bunch of unreleased albums I never put out, which was, uh, um, in, um, in, uh, what was it? What was it called, man? Um, my man from uh, 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 the concierge, man. See, I, 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 it's been so long. I can't even think of the name of the, of the, of the project, but um, it's up there on SoundCloud. Um, 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 and uh, I started off as an MC, man. I'm, I'm always being MC. I always approached um, looking at music, you know, uh, as a, as an MC. Um, and, uh, so coming up in Staten Island, rhyming, um, some, some of my partners were, were RZA, um, first and foremost. Um, then when I went to University of Maryland, I continued, I met up with a bunch of guys, was rhyming. We had a radio show up at, up at Maryland, WMUC. And, um, you know, after I came home, you know, I was still rhyming. I, you know, I had the dreads, I had the, you know, I was up at Lyricist Lounge, this footage of that grabbing mics, you know, trying to get my my spit in. By the way, the name of that the my my uh, uh, situation was called the, the Tom Hagen tragedy. Okay, um, go go check that out. We'll um, do. Like I said, Tom Hagen was a concierge to wartime um, mafiosi, quote unquote, and I always kind of saw myself as a concierge to you know wartime MCs. So that's kind of you know how that manifested itself but long story short um you know after once i got home from college you know i wanted to learn a lot about the business so that i could um you know really like see how i could independently start putting out projects because i felt like a lot of a lot of projects that were getting signed were bullshit and um so i i got a i got an internship started off as an internship then it turned into a radio promotions job at a label called rowdy records Yes, I remember. Rowdy Records had a group called The King and I, and he had a group called Illegal. And Jamal. Yeah, uh, yeah, we get busy, y'all. <laughs> yeah, Jamal, Jamal's um, Last Chance No Breaks album is one of my, like, my go-tos. You know, those okay. ones that you keep close to you. Like, even if it's not necessarily the one that everyone talks about, I love that project. Did that album have Fades Em All on it? Yes. The one from Pete Jamal, yes. the Fades Em All. Right, that one right there. And his partner, Little Malik, was no joke either. I mean, you remember Little Malik was on uh, was on the was on the Chronic album too and all that. You know what I'm saying? Was it Doggy Style? He was on Doggy Style on the last song. Pump, pump, that one. Throw your motherfucking hands in the air. <laughs> and if you don't give a, like, they don't give a, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yo, they was they was hot, but the other you know, two of them couldn't get along. 
but that was what it was. And so anyway, when I started up at Rowdy and I was doing college promotions, um, um, RZA had, had pressed up Protect Your Neck along with, um, you know, with the help of Ali Grant, who I know is Power, who later started Woo Wear. And, um, you know, while I was sliding out records, RZA gave me an allotment to slide out. So he, is, he essentially uh, hit me off. He hit off a guy named Sincere Thompson. Uh, and he hit off a guy named Lask, Mike McDonald, who was working at Weasel Marketing under Bill Stephanie who's um, affiliated with the bomb squad. So the three of us basically initially got the record out. I, I did my thing at college radio and, uh, you know, um, Lask, as we call them, and Sincere Thompson, who I think was at Wild Pitch at the time, they did their thing. So eventually what happens is, uh, you know, college radio is feeling the record. Like, you know, and I'm trying to be like, look, that's not really, you know, my record that I'm working. That's on the low. That's just a jewel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and, um, but it, it started taking off. And then I get a call from RZA and, you know, RZA's like, yo, um, I need you to go meet this guy, Steve Rifkin. Um, he's like, you know, He's like, yo, you're the only college educated one out of the clan, man. You know, we 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 gonna Yeah, we go, we go, you, you know how to deal with these people. Like, we gonna need somebody in the office looking out after our best interests. I said, yo, I'll give him a call. We'll see what happens. Whatever. I I, I called Steve Rifkin and uh we set up a meeting. I went to go meet him at the RCA building, top floor. It was the BMG building, really. And RCA had offices up in there. And we sat down, we kicked it, and I, I was like, yeah, Rifkin, you know, I, I had a friend named Rifkin, you know, from Long Island. He was like, what school did you go to? I said, University of Maryland. He was like, what was his name? I said, John. He's like, yeah, that's my brother. And Wow. <laughs> they, they always tell you that, you know, it's not what you, what you learn in college, it's who you meet, you know. So, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. And at the time, John was doing uh, radio promotions at Electra. He was uh, promoting, uh, you know, uh, 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 rock stuff, uh, 10,000 Maniacs, stuff like that. Um, and so we hit it off, man, and, and he hired me on the spot. And I became the first New York employee at Loud Records, which essentially had started in L.A. Um, and Steve came out here to sign the wool and to get the label going. So but mind you, Alcoholics is already got a dope album out, you know, the make room and everything was already doing its thing um, before the clan even came up. And so once I came aboard, you know, he, he kind of told me that like, you know, I was first, first of all, I was like, I was everything. I was his assistant. I used to, you know, take meetings, listen to, listen to stuff. I used to come up with, you know, marketing plans, proposals, did all that stuff. And eventually Rich Isenson came aboard, became a partner. And then John came aboard and um, and then down the line, uh, a few months later, I was able to lure Maddie C um, out of the source. Um, that said, Maddie was also the first one to write about uh, Protect Your Neck, an independent um, source profile, because I had hit him off with the record. That was my man. What we did every week was we 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 sit up in the source and we go through hot shit. And, you know, particularly, you know, Maddie had the unsigned hype column at the time and I was just in the streets running around. And um, so Protect Your Neck was one of the records I played on. And, 
You know, he had never before that wrote about any independent record that wasn't affiliated with a major. So that's another crucial point about protecting that. It was the first uh, independent record to get a singles profile in the source. And so, yeah, Maddie comes aboard and, um, you know, Steve Rifkin gives us a green light to build a label and not too long after we signed Mob Deep and everything just started rolling from there. Then we went out to LA and made sure the exhibit deal was, was secure. And then, uh, you know, not too long after Punisher, Dead Prez, Cellar Dwellers, Dead Cellar Dwellers was signed around the same time as the mob. Um, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about them in a bit because Cellar Dwellers are one of my favorite groups ever. And, um, I've got so many questions about them and I've been saving them because I'm like, I know I'm going to speak to Scott soon. Cellar Dwellers, Realms and Reality, bro. Me and my wife, we had, um, we got it hemmed, played at our wedding party. Wow. Yeah, we, 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 we played, shout we got to, it hemmed. Shout out to Nick Wiz. The cellar was essentially was Nick Wiz's crib. And that's where a lot of re- recordings were done as well as mixes. I mean, you know, he was, he was treacherous on the SP. Like... <laughs> And got, you know, his EQ game is, is I you know, I call Nick right now to mix something for me. Like he, that's how his, his EQ game is, 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 was always far beyond. That's why a lot of the, the records that he produced, you know, had, had those, that, that massiveness to it. Like you said, we got it ham. It's a, it's a huge record. Yeah. You hear it, you know, played, you know, in a club or whatever it is. And, you know, um, yeah, man. Shout out, yeah. shout out, shout out to my dwellers, man. Yeah, def- definitely. So you and you and Matt Life, you were like, to me, I'm a big wrestling fan, so I'm going to make a comparison. You were like the road warriors of a and in. <laughs> in some ways, though, I, I, I think you guys, and I, I don't know how, but I'm sure, you know, it would have to be like this for it to work. What were your contrasting and complementary skills? Like, what were you particularly good at? And what was he particularly good at? And how did you meet in the middle? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the 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 duo thing was basically, um, you know, Matt Matt's a producer, so you know, Matt was always in the production. Matt was also a a a a a a, 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 a digger, a huge crate digger, and uh, he'd go to like you know the um, the uh, they'd have the record conventions that started like five six in the morning. Um, <clears throat> At, the, at this uh, hotel, uh, Midtown, next to Grand Central. Um, um, you know, guys like Pete Rock and Q-Tip, man, would already have half of the records bought up before you even got there. And the vendors would be holding it to the side. And you you know, Matt would try to grab something. I remember he would try to grab something one morning and the dude was like, yo, I'm holding that for Pete Rock. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard a story how um, Pete Rock went to one of these conventions and someone said um, they were holding a record for PM Dawn. And he was like, look, man, give me that record, man. I'm Pete Rock. I'm like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Try to act up and you get slapped up. Let me stop, man. Uh, R.I.P. to... Uh, Absolutely. Big man who had passed away, man, with all, with, in all due respect. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, so so the yin and the yang was basically Maddie. Maddie had more of a focus on the production element and I had more of a focus on the lyrical element. And that was the yin and the yang in the studio. Usually he get last word on, and on, 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 you know, mixes. Um, and I would usually pretty much, you know, get the little last word in terms of how vocals were sounding and usually did a lot of the, the talking to artists 
in terms of, um, you know, conceptually how, you know, I felt was better. I mean, it was never like me writing anything for them. It was more or less about like, are we going to go with this or are we going to go with that? Um, case in point story I always like to tell is, is uh, you know, we, we're, we're trying to wrap up a few things for the infamous album. So we wanted a commercial record. And, um, you know, Prince didn't really let people sample that much stuff. So I was just kind of like, look, if we do this, this could be a big record. So I, I proceeded to go to the record store, me and Havoc, um, cop, you know, Prince record, we, we jacked up if I was your girlfriend. And, um, you know, I make this whole thing about please don't curse. If you don't curse, we're going to get this to Prince. He won't like cursing. Da, 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 da. And Havoc writes a whole clean situation. Prodigy writes, he, Prodigy's just nodding. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So t- comes time to record. Prodigy jumps in the booth. Fresh out this bitch pussy. Hey, in the middle of a barn dog. Super ho, putting on a freak show inside my many mansion. Have bitches dancing any naked, bitch, you ain't ready. My, my dick is 2% lead, 98% shaft heavy. Steadily penetrating peace stands. Yeah, I don't know. He, he, just, he just went ballistic. The rhyme was crazy, but needless to say, he didn't listen to me. And he, he cursed. Uh, we didn't get the record cleared. Uh, the record became a record called Young Love, which you could probably hear on YouTube right now. And um, yeah, that's what it was. And then Matt, Matt was 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 notorious for doing recalls. Recalls when a record is pretty much done; it's already mixed. But you know, he feels like a kick or a snare or a hi hat or whatever or pan isn't right, and you basically go in and have to recall the record. Now, a recall might take five hours just to get it to where you had it. You know, this is in the in the nineties when you're on the SSL board. And, you know, your engineer has to get. The knobs, the EQs, and everything recalled exactly the way that you had it mixed in order to add or take away whatever you wanted to do. And yeah, my man Matt was like notorious for the recall. You know what I mean? Artists, yeah. artists already okayed it and signed off and were good with it. Matt, next thing you know, is 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 it back in the studio the next day fucking with it? Um, it sounds like something I would do. <laughs> I'm I'm the same. Like I remember, I went back to the studio one time to do an ad lib. Oh man! I'm like, yeah. this don't sound I mean, right. I couldn't sleep knowing the ad lib was on there. I said, I got to go right. back and change well, it. Well, I mean, I understand it. You know, you want to be able to walk away from it feeling great. Um, yeah. And one thing we knew that is is if me, him, and the artists all uh, walked away from it feeling great, then we knew we always had something. Yeah. You know? did, um, did you and um, did you and Matt Life ever have any minor disagreements? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, any like any partnership and any duo and any relationship, you're going to have disagreements, of course. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, I mean, like I said, like, you know, Matt was very heavy on kicks and snares. Me, I was more heavy on concepts, you know? Like, so I wasn't, you know, always that. You know, Matt kind of made me more anal about um, um, the particulars of production, you know? Um, and you know, it was a, it was a good thing too, like on the infamous album when, when Q-Tip came in, you know, because all those things that Matt was feeling, um, Q-Tip was able to kind of bring it out and, and, you know, taught Havoc how to mix an EQ and, and, and showed us little tricks about, you know, fucking with kicks and snares and, and all of that. So, so, um, 
um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, 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 we would, we would disagree on a lot of things, man. Uh, but again, you know, the magic moments come when we're both in agreement yeah, and, and meet each other halfway and, gotcha. um, you know, yeah, no, it's, um, it's a, it's a beautiful, you, you two, I call you the road warriors, man. Like hawk and animal, like, come on, man. Like what you guys did together changed the game. I'm, I just, yesterday I, um, I was asked to do a, a retrospective on the infamous hell on earth and murder music. And when I did mm. that, because it was an episode about the greatest three, three album runs in nineties hip hop. And I was asked to speak about mob deep and mm. What you guys did on those, I mean, we'll talk about the other projects, but what you guys did on those projects, I think you are one of my biggest case studies as to the value of an A&R and being produced. Because now in this time is that you can, as an MC or producer, you can literally work on your own. You can isolate yourself from, from everyone, but to have those trusted ears that you right. and Matt, invaluable. Well, yeah. Again, man, with all due respect, big up to my man Q-Tip, Kamal, the abstract. You know, he taught us a lot on that Infamous album. We all learned a lot. So, you, you know, the Infamous was a growth period. I think the original recording of the Infamous, a lot of those songs are like, you know, there's some of them that leaked out or whatever, some of the, some of the outtakes, et cetera. I think that that album in and of itself would have been classic, you know, but Q-Tip coming aboard and putting in his two cents uh, with Drink Away the Pains and, and his 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 expertise in EQing songs like Survival of the Fittest and making the, the records bigger, um, just kind of, you know, it, it was it was it was it was like going to going to hip hop boot camp school and, and learning, you know, 101, 102. And by the time that we finished with the infamous, we had basically we were in honors classes. And then mm. by the time you get to Hell on Earth, Hell on Earth is is the first time that Havoc and Prodigy are going in to essentially work on all the production themselves. I mean, you know, conceptually they were they always had things together, but like you know, producing an entire album was new for Havoc, and now was his first chance to use all that shit that he learned from Q-Tip and all that whole experience with the Infamous now in the studio. So that that's what you get from 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 um, from Hell on Earth, and we spent you know we we recorded most of that. Uh, in a, in a loft right above Studio 54, what was known as Studio 54, the old dance spot. There was a loft up top, which was known as Axton Studios at the time. And it was dope. I mean, like, it was like a big apartment, you know, with, uh, with you know, with an SSL board and showers and couches and an outdoor balcony. I mean, like, you know, recording that album was just a blessing. You know, I, I, I actually, at the time, me and my girl, we, we, you know, lived like blocks away. So I would just you know, go from the crib right to, I, you know, right to the, right to the studio in my slippers sometimes and walk right <laughs> back to the crib. It was, it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. It was a, it was a great time to be, you know, to be alive and recording, man. And, and we mm. knew we were about something. We knew we had something. And, um, and then you enter into to murder music. By the time murder music comes along, um, I feel like me and Matt felt like having P had knew enough and learned enough for us not to be, holding their hand and all up under them and all of that. So murder music is essentially them just going in and doing them without like, not, not saying that we didn't come through and check in, but it wasn't the same as like, you know, the infamous and, 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 and hell on earth where we did everything and every song together every day. And you know what I'm saying? By this point, it's just like, y'all know the ropes, y'all know what y'all doing, go do your thing. 
You know, you had um, Jonathan Lighty making sure Havoc got his ass to the studio. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and, and that's it. It's Chris Lighty used to say, look, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't broke. We don't want to, we don't want to try and fix nothing. Just, you know, do what y'all do. Mm. And, and, and that's murder music. And that, that, that was the progression. So sticking with Mob Deep, one thing um, I really enjoy about my album making process, I love sequencing. So I've spent years trying to work out, okay, why is this song here? Why does Cuban links open with striving for perfection? I, I understand you were integral in terms of the sequencing on the infamous. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't think, yeah, artists are all that concerned with sequencing, you know, but like me as an old school pause tape guy, you know, I was, you know, mad to tell you, I was big on the pause tape, you know, and, and, you know, what records came behind what and why and, and, and themes of like, you know, this, this theme leads into that theme was a great setup for, for, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever. Like, I don't know. I was, I was, that was always kind of my thing. So, you know, we would, before we did the infamous, we, we, everything was a sequence. We would sequence uh, those songs over and over, depending on what we did, how we updated it, uh, you know, um, uh, what, you know, what we were adding on, what we were changing, you know, if you change something that changes the way that you see your song coming in. Yeah. Um, when you, when you, when you hear, um, start of your ending, start of your ending was essentially made in sequencing. It was just like some spur the moment, last minute, fuck it, let's do another joint. And, you know, and, and, and coming, trying to come up with what's going to go first, basically. That's how start of your ending comes up, you know, as in sequencing, you know, last minutes of the album. And then, you know, here comes, you know, you know, having P with like, just like, fuck it. Let's just start it off like this. Start of your ending. So some, okay. You're, you're, a, you're, you understand sequencing. You've got a passion for it. Just so I know that I'm on the right page. What are like some of your tips? Give me two or three in terms of sequencing a project. What are the important things that one needs to think about? Um, it's just a it's, it, feel, you know, how does it, how does, how does anything roll off? How does it feel like, you know, like, you know, certain things, you know, have to come together. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can hear it, you know what I mean? So that's why, like I was saying before, it's so important to sequence, sequence and sequence again, listen to how it sounds over and over in different ways, in different formats, starting with this, this coming behind that switched up with that. Why did you put that with that? Why does that come behind that? Does that need a skit? Maybe a skit set up to, to go with, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just playing with it. And then mm. once it feels right, it feels the way it feels. And, you know, um, here's the other, here's the other jewel. If you're making dope shit and, and, and you got a ton of dope material, the sequencing is not really going to matter all that much. I'll be honest with you. So, you know, when you, when you hear Cuban links, I mean, does the sequencing really matter that much? I mean, the skits are cool and everything, but does it really matter? It, it not doesn't. That much, man. But I'm going to argue something. I would say if I put in Cuban links now and press shuffle, it feels different. Because I, I need to hear like North Star is that to me, that's the end of the journey. If North right. Star came on first, but I guess it's because I know it the way I know it, you see. So if you had put Cuban links in my hand and ice cream was track number four, if that's how I'm hearing it for the first time, I'm going to love it anyway. So, yeah, I see your point. You know what I'm saying? Like, North yeah. Star could easily be the 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 the, the whole the, the calm before the storm. You know what True. I mean? 
G, you know, just like almost like a ceremony going into what you're about to go into, you know, especially with Papa Wu singing G.O.D.'s my reality, you know, it's, it's a setup. So he just chose to to make it, you know, an end off in the closing. And and mind you, it's not even it's not even on the cassette. It's not. I'm not even sure if it's on the album. I think it was just a CD bonus. I'm a so, CD guy. So that's how I got it. So, you know, so that said, North Star could have been, could not have been, you know, um, again, like, you know, all just, uh, you know, personal perception, really. Like, right. I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, sequencing is a, it's a cool thing because, you know, the artist as well as the producers or whatever get to give you how they feel it should be delivered to you. But at the same time, um, it's really the material and the content that's going, you know, way out at the end of the day yeah i hear you we're sticking on sticking with wu-tang something that's been burning a hole in my mind for many years i i I was working on a podcast episode called fires and floods so i wanted to talk about the fire in q-tip studio where he lost all the tribe stuff and i know that rizza had some floods in his studio and i remember you actually corrected me on twitter i think you said there were two floods if i'm correct um I know he had a problem with floods in that crib he was living in, um, which was on Staten Island. Right. And how, and, how um, did the um and, how did the and, how how did the floods impact your work before you before you carry on? Like, what albums or artists had to kind of scrap stuff or go back to the drawing board as a result of these floods? Well, from what I understand, there's always talk that you know Method Man had an entirely different album. You know, the whole thing about Deck having an album. I don't, I don't really believe that. I think that Deck had some joints and he had some ideas, you know, but I don't think there was as much of a full album as Meth because remember Meth was the was actually the second one to sign or Dirty signed to Electra and Meth had signed to Def Jam and you know it, it's like Meth had momentum cuz he had already had, you know, ME and the METHOD jump off. And and so yeah, Meth had something recorded, and I don't know when the, when the flood hit exactly, but I know that that deadline for that album came up on them, and they kind of like, I mean, I ain't gonna front, yo, Meth album is talented as he is, and talented as RZA is, it's like it's not like they had like six months to sit back and you know whatever 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 they was doing before. That's the shit that got lost. And, you know, at some point, I guess RZA is the type of dude that's, like, probably not going... And who knows what he did. He might have... There's some things he might have went back and used certain parts that he had used before and freaked it differently. I never had heard all of that about that. I mean, like, you know, I heard him say that, yo, the the original Meth album was crazy and all of this or whatever, but, you know, who knows? You know, but Mm -hmm. I know that the Method Man album was definitely the most effective one. And, and, and uh, by the time that they came with that album, it was kind of like they was on the deadline and they had to go pretty much 24 seven, pretty hard to get that to Cal album done. You know, okay. uh, right. links was recorded in the same, in the same um, spot. So, you know, sometimes you hear stuff about, them saying that like there was beats for Cuban links that was supposed that was supposed to whatever I you know I don't know you know what I'm saying I was there for a lot of the Cuban links stuff and you know again same spot this is when he starts going to like the ADAT and whatever most of the Cuban link stuff wasn't even recorded to to a two inch reel it was basically recorded to uh 
to dats and saved on dats. So I'll give you an example right here. This is predominantly uh, what you guys know as Cuban links. These are these are the actual real actual masters. Wow. Uh, with Tom Coy. So. Oh wow. You see guillotine. You see shadow boxing. You see knuckleheads. Uh, fly bitch shit is wisdom body. Became wisdom body, whatever. But yeah, so that's what was going on. I mean, like you know, Riz's Riz's whole you know when we did the mob stuff, we did everything on two inch reel, and then when we mixed it, we dropped it to half inch reel, and then by the time we got to the studio to master it, it was mastered off the half inch. So that you know, Riz's mm. whole approach was you know what I mean. He's um a unique person. <laughs> He definitely, he definitely is that, you know. A unique person. Cellar Dwellers. How did Cellar Dwellers get to Loud Records? Like, what was your first encounter with um, Ugg and Phantasm and, and their relationship with Nick Wiz? What did you see firsthand? Um, my encounter was, like I told you before, I was an MC. So I used to, I used to rhyme at Lyricist Lounge. You know, all the illest MCs used to go to Lyricist Lounge and get it in. Like, you know what I mean? Adolf the Assassin was one of my little partners. We used to run up in there. And, um, you know, each week, um, hands down, the illest duos were by far Smith & Wesson and the Cellar Dwellers. They would burn it down every week. And they had a religious Brooklyn following that came to see them burn it down every week. And and that's my first time really seeing the Cellar Dwellers before I was an A&R dude. So later on, when I became an A&R and Danny and Anthony came to the office shopping the material, I was already familiar with how they got down. You know, then mm. the, the rest was what it was, hearing Land of the Lost for the first time, produced by uh, Norman Digger. You know, it was it was it was a done deal. You know what I'm saying? It didn't take much, but yeah, that's my first uh, encounter with them was at Lyricist Lounge. And, you know, again, you know, I was in a position to do something, knew what it was. They didn't have to sell me much, didn't have to sell Matt much. He saw what it was and, you know, it's kind of um, a no brainer. We felt like they would fit in on the roster. Yeah. Great. A great, 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 great signing. I will never forget the first time. Oh, I've got to say, I've got to tell you this. I'm so sorry. Soul in the Hole. My favorite hip hop soundtrack ever. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> ever. Ever. Simple as. You got my favorite rapper, OC, on there, but that main yeah. name joint. <sighs> yeah. Wow. 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 Well, wow. Soul in the Hole, like, I mean, you know, we, we had a lot, we had done a lot of music inspired by type soundtracks with, when you go from like um, fresh which was mostly like, you know, it had heaven and hell on it, but it was like mostly old school joints, you know, um, that we just licensed. And then you had um, the Hoodlum soundtrack, you know, we, we were fortunately able to do something dope with Rakim and the mob, but like, you know, it wasn't like something that we steered from top to bottom. Um, when we saw the Soul in a Whole movie, Independent, um, 
you know, we were all basketball fans, you know, and was, you know, telling a dope story about Brooklyn basketball and whatever. But we just, me and Matt just felt like this is a great opportunity for us to do a, a soundtrack from top to bottom the way that we want it done. And also give artists that at that time weren't getting a great look at movie soundtracks just to do something towards, you know, um, an original score for, for you know, towards a, towards a film. And yeah. um, um, the film, I feel like the film didn't do as much as it should have. Um, you know, it was, it was independent, etc. But like, you know, the soundtrack was what it was. And, you know, incredible. We a, That's what it was. We didn't have a huge budget, um, you know, but, you know, everybody was kind of willing to, to throw something at it and more than excited to, mm. to do it. And, you know, it came came together pretty dope. And I, I agree. I um that that project. That's my wife's favorite soundtrack too. I think. Yeah, we 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 are the we are the hip hop couple. You no know, in doubt. life, in life, when it comes to relationships, people often refer to the one that got away. In your A and R career, as you reflect and look back, who are some of the artists that got away, who you couldn't sign for whatever reason? There's no multiple. There's only one. Gentleman by the name of Sean Carter. We were supposed to sign Jay. He had a song called Reach the Top. Um, I still got his demo. Um, I believe it's I believe it's upstairs. So my co-host Summit, he's um he's the resident hove stand. He's gonna he's gonna love this part. I'm gonna take a screenshot of this because he loves Jay-Z. Let me see. I think it's probably upstairs, man, but I will I will I will get to it. I usually keep this is I'm down here in my little my little studio. Okay. Situation. There's a lot going on. I, I just hope you're keeping this stuff safe, you know, Scott, because I'm not trying to hear about no flood. Yeah, my wife keeps trying to call, man. But um we just gonna we just gonna nudge her out and keep this okay. going. Um um but yeah, Jay Z, man, we were supposed to do that deal. And um and you know, I would have Dame Dash hitting me up every every week, telling them um, you know, the deal's gonna get done. Um, as far as I knew, Rich Isaacson was telling me the deal was going to get done. Steve Rifkin was nodding to me and Matt, like the deal is going to get done. I remember Jay-Z one time coming to uh, our office building on Broadway. I came outside and Jay-Z and Bleak were out front. I was heading back to Staten Island with my girl. And um, I was about to catch a cab and Jay was like, yo, you need a ride? Jay gave me a ride down to, to the ferry. He had, I remember he had TVs like in the back of the, like in the, you know, like the headrest, each headrest mm-hmm. had, had a little small screen in the back of it. Like this is, we talk about, we talk about 94. You know what I'm saying? He already had paper. And the deal was basically, he wasn't even looking for marketing and money and video money and all that. He was like, yo, we gonna do all of that. All we want is distribution and y'all take your percentage. I'm paying for my own recording. I'm paying for my own videos. I'm crazy. I mean, this is a no-brainer to me. So I don't know what happened, man. Somehow down the line, I you know, I always say like maybe like maybe something about him spooked Steve Ifkin. Maybe them coming to the table so, you know, thorough and and owning their own shit and all of that, because you know, I guess they wanted to hold on to, you know, their master or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I just know that they came for just pure distribution and didn't even want to check hmm. just 
take your percentage and distribute this. Throw your logo on, we throw our logo on. They really wanted to do a 50-50 joint venture. So they were, later on wound up going to priority. I don't know what that deal is. That lasted like a year or so. And then they took their their game to uh, Def Jam. So how different do you think Jay-Z's career would have been had he signed to Loud Records? Um, I don't know. Like he would, he would just off top, he would have he he would have been marketed, I think, and promoted a little bit better. My bad. Priority was based out in um in 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 uh California at the time, and we were a New York label. So I don't, you know, I feel like his presence in New York would have been huger off top. You know, had he come come through loud, we like remember we had the street team, we had pioneered the street team. Mm. Um, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing our artists uh, promoted somehow, some way. You know what I'm saying? Um, we were in every club. We had flyers all over the place. Um, like I said, Priority Records was a was was based in Cali. Um, our, our street team situation, the SRC street team, was one of the biggest street teams promotion wise in the country. We had you know we had units and teams of kids in every major city. So I just think, you know, um, the in my lifetime situation, we just would have, would have, would have popped off a little quicker than it did, you know? Um, and you know, that's about it. You know, Hove is Hove. He would have been Hove regardless. Um, but I, I think that, you know, in retrospect, I mean, we would have monopolized the entire game had we had Jay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Agree. I mean, and, and Jay, Jay is the Jay is single-handedly saved Def Jam. You know, at, at one point, like Def Jam was not even a threat. Sorry, like at the time that we were putting out all that heat, they were not. You know, they were always the what we were we were aspiring to be like. But um, in terms of their product and whatever, it was just like we we took that slot. We was running the streets. You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, again, you go back to it. I mean, who did they have at the time? Boss, I'm not, no disrespect. You know, LL was always doing his thing, but, you know, pink cookies in the plastic bag wasn't really seeing us like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was, you know, at, at, at that point, it was like, I'm not, no, not, no disrespect. No, LL's like one of the illest, you know what I'm saying? Solo MCs ever. Absolutely. He's a pioneer in every right. But I'm just saying, in this time period, from 94 to 99 2000 nobody was nobody was nobody was even close man nobody was no i agree listen man i'm a i'm a i'm a disciple of loud i I agree man like (laughs) i I don't even want to i don't want to have a stand moment so i'm just going to hold myself i'm just going to be cool (laughs) and i'm just going to be calm um a and r's was there a competitive nature among the a and r's at different labels was there any spicy talk and shady business going on behind the scenes there's always a competitive quote unquote. There's always, I think, put out high quality, dope shit. Um, you know, there was also like a camaraderie too. Like, you know, what I mean, we wanted to see everybody putting out high quality, dope shit because we were, we were fans more than we were record executives. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, coming up, you know, I mean, I was always a Dante Ross fan. I used to go to college and, like you said, read the inner notes. And every time I saw Dante Ross. It was hot shit from De La Soul, you know, down to when he got to Lecture and came with the Hard to the Left campaign and started signing Shinehead, Brand Nubians, KMD Sec, um, Shazzy, 
Pete Rock and CL Smooth, like, yo, you know, then I finally met him. It was like, yo, downtown white kid. Yeah. Like, I was in shock. <laughs> yo, you're the great Dante. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you know, you have my man, you know, one of our, our partners, Rob Tulo, Reef Tulo, who's at Big Beat, was, who's our man, who pro- probably told us more about, you know, A&Ring and engineers and studios than anybody. Um, you know, he had put out, um, 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 uh, what's, what's the cat? Not gonna be able to do it. Double X Posse. I haven't heard. I haven't heard that name in eons. Of course, uh, the artifacts as well as a Rob Tulo signed real life as well. Later on, he signed. Yeah, signed real life right, and later on, he signed uh, Junior Mafia. Um, but yeah, you know, it was always it was it was it was a it was a friendly camaraderie, man. We all wanted to see each other win. And it was it was always all love. Shout out also to Tracy Waples, who was at Def Jam, who was Meth's A and R. You know, the only time you get Meth out of a meeting is if his A and R Def Jam wanted to, wanted to, you know had to holler at him about something. Um, <laughs> he meant he mentioned her on um, a podcast recently, so that's how I'm familiar with the name. Yeah, Trey Wap. Um, you know, and then you had uh, Martin over there uh, who had signed. Uh, uh, Capone and Noriega, you know, he was a, he was a peer. Um, and of course, the great Faith Newman, you know, who had signed Nas. Of course. Up at Columbia. Um, yeah, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good, a lot of, was a lot of good years later on as the, once the 90s hit, mid 90s hit. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. What more can you tell us uh, about IGT and their time on Loud? IGT, um, you know, they were a group from Long Island, basically, that, you know, I think uh, came in when Loud was in its pretty much in its prime and really didn't didn't finish the album until perhaps Loud was kind of on its decline. Um, but, I mean, they're, they're, they were the epitome of everything that we stood for. You know what I'm saying? Um, four LMCs, you know, self-produced for the most part shop rest in peace belly white crack vow um 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 and, and and original and you know um i remember playing their demo um in the listening room and, and you know and that loud for us again it wasn't always about me and matt me and matt's opinion it was about me putting something on in the listening room and how many kids were going to come to that room and be like what the fuck is that and um you know igt is um one of the first groups that i was playing in the listening room and i remember inspector deck was up in the office and he came up and he's like yo who's that i'm like yeah it's just this group thinking about signing called igt and he was like thinking about signing he like yo that shit is heat like what does it take to get a record deal these days (laughs) (laughs) and that's that kind of that kind of that kind of sealed their deal when, when it's back. and then, and of course Inspector Deck became one of the first features on the on the uh, Alpha and Omega uh, LP uh, with a song called "What What You Gonna Do What You Wanna Do," uh, which was produced by Alchemist. You mentioned Inspector Deck; he's my favorite Klansman. I love him. I love him. I love him. Like when it comes to the art of the opening bar and the opening verse, right? Only Prodigy will give him a long day. But that guy is, he's incredible. I love him. Love him. Yeah. Love him. He's a, he's, a, he's a wordsmith. Um, I was watching a podcast the other day about him talking about how he put together um, 
his original rhyme for trying. Yes, the Talib Kweli podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. You saw yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which was which was very interesting because I wasn't really even aware of that. So by that by that time with that album, you know, they had the Wu Mansion. They all had their separate rooms, you know, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to record. And you know, so yeah, he was saying that that was originally a Tony Touch verse, and he called Tony to get permission to use that verse for that beat and the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to, to Inspector Deck, the Rebel INS. Rebel INS. Of course. I've got a question for you. What are your slept on loud albums? I've got two in particular. Well, uh, Rebel INS, now since, we, we, since we're speaking about them, Uncontrolled Substance is an album that really, we, we, what we what we what we went wrong with that is that we should have came with that immediately after Cuban Links. I agree. While we you know while we had that momentum, and you know honestly, you know while cats were were still accessible to each other, you know at some point when, when all the success came and, and, and etc. It, it's like the unit started getting more into their solo thing, particularly after Ray's album. Everybody wanted to do their solo LP, solo LP. And, um, you know, Deck wasn't the type of dude to just be like running at dudes to like, you know, begging kids to come into the studio to, to do anything for him. You know what I'm saying? So, so you know, by the time that we get around to really doing his album, putting out his album, everybody was in that my solo, my solo mode. And you know, if you told Deck he was coming to the studio, just show up. If you ain't showing up, he's not gonna he's not gonna wait for you. <laughs> he's just gonna keep it moving and probably just put three bars on there himself. And I think that um, you know, as dope as the uncontrolled substance album is, I I, I do wish that we would have had uh, more of the original nine um, on that yeah. album. You know, so. I agree. Rec Room is my, that's me, man. When, when I hear Rec Room, I get different. That's my joint. Hypodermics. Oh, that's yours. Produced by Lars Professor. Mm. <laughs> Hypodermics, and then you had I love Forget Me Not too. Big. Um, produced by Zulu. The, the um, I like um the power of God's in you. Show and prove. Produced by Deck. He's an ill producer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah, yeah. He got that. He got that in, in, in a smash. I mean, you know. Um, you know, it's just always just something to artists that produce, MCs that produce. Um, um, you know, some do it well. You know, you'll have his dope at a Diamond D, et cetera, Lord Finesse. You know, but it's also something, you know, to being an artist and just being able to focus on your content and letting somebody else go ahead and, 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 and you know, focus on the sound and, and, and what, you're, what you're delivering your content over. Um, I always used to feel bad for Havoc because he... He's focusing on 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 the music, and then you gotta follow Prodigy. Like it just, you know, <laughs> that's not like a headache. It, yo, it, 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 you know, the guy had, you know, you gotta give him some credit. I do, you know I mean? yeah. You know, I mean, all, all P would have to do, you know, before Havoc even really had the beat entirely hooked up, P would already have a concept and already have, you know, three quarters of his rhyme done. Um, so yeah. You know, definitely have a whole different respect for the MC slash producer, you know. Frozen Files. What was the aim or what is the aim of the label and why did you set it up in the first place? Originally, I, I, I had set up a, a, a imprint called World Records 
And and that, this is when I started working with a group called the UN. UN or you out. Yeah. And um, um, so, you know, you know, doing the, the whole world records thing and, you know, that album took like, you know, that's, this is when I, I left Loud and I was about to sign the UN to, to Loud, but, you know, the stubbornness in me refused to like not finish that album. Um, so, you know, I wound up spending pretty much a lot of a lot of my own money to make that album. And then later on, um, you know, Carson Daly um, and John Rifkin and, and Maddie, my partner, come along and they form four or five, six and we combine up and we get that out. Um, but that said, continuing on, it was just like, you know, world records and the UN, it, was, it all came together like that. World dominance, UN, you know, the whole thing. And then, um, um, I, I just felt like, you know, after that, like I started working on stuff and I felt like, you know, I had shit in the vault. I felt like it was, it was on ice. You know what I'm saying? It, I mean, it included the IGT album at the time because we hadn't quite let that out either. And, um, I don't know, just feeling like stuff was on ice and needed to be defrosted. And then, and then I got, I got, uh, I started that, me and Maddie started a radio show at, at East Village Radio. And um, um, I felt like it was a great way for me to defrost all these hidden gems that I had, you know? And, and so hence the term, you know, frozen files, you know, files that were frozen and, you know, needed to be defrosted and released and, let the world hear it. And, you know, um, that was the start of that, that imprint was mostly because of the radio show, you know? Um, I remember being in Miami and I can't remember what store I went to, but I picked up the UN album in Miami. I remember I bought it. I bought that album and Jewel Santana. The, 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 the original, the original version. I've got the original, the, the I've got the original bro. Okay. Like I, I've got the, I've got the original. And I remember I went on a cruise the week after. So imagine me, I'm in the middle of the ocean on a boat listening to the UN album. And that's the memory I have attached to that project. I, I, that project right there is, um, how did, how, how did it hit you? Like, I mean, cause it's nothing like the, it's just like drug, like the first time you hit anything or hear anything, it's never really the same, you know, it's something magical about yeah, hearing something you, for the first time. You know what it was? It felt familiar, but different. Okay. It felt familiar, but different. Like I saw Alchemist's name in the credits, Large Professor, Pete Rock. So I'm already sold. I was familiar with Rock Marcy from the flip mode stuff, but um, it was a Dino Brave and I've forgotten the other two brothers' names. I know one has passed, rest in peace. Um, Mike, Mike Raw. Mike Raw, rest in peace and La Cool. Yes. And then, you know, con connecting the dots from the, you know, the Peach Dementals and all that. It's just, it's, it's lightning in a bottle to me. It's a it's a remnant of a time that I don't think will I don't know if it will ever come back, but we can relive it through the music. Does that make sense? It I mean, it's interesting you say that because it is just that. It's the it's the last official album I ever made on two inch reel. Um we finished that album in a place called Street Streetlight Studios, which was um in the same building as Daddy's house, uh, you know, with P. Diddy Studio on 44th Street. It's the old record plant. Um, where, you know, um, the Beatles and had recorded and John Lennon had bought this place 
and it was became um he John Lennon recorded um the Imagine album there. And you know, um they had the SSL board. Um and like I said, it was the old record plant. Um they had these old uh custom built speakers with the wood. Like it was just it's just that whole place was a throwback and I had I had to record there because I just felt that 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 old school energy. Like I wanted to be in the place where like magic had happened. You know what I'm saying? And and I knew that this might be, you know, last hurrah. I don't know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and I wanted it, I wanted them to be comfortable. Shout out to Christos to Santalis, my engineer, who also engineered uh puns, um, both of Pun's albums. Um but uh yeah, I mean, so it's the last album, it's the last of the two-inch era. So that album is recorded entirely on two inch and was, you know, again, you know, mixed to half inch. And, you know, after that, like, I don't, I don't think anybody was using uh, two inch reels anymore. I mean, it's a whole different sound. It's a whole different process. It's a whole, so that's what that album is. It's the last of the Mohegans is in that it's the last of the boom bap era, two inch hip hop album. I'm actually, you're describing and I'm getting chills, frozen files, pun intended, just because it just takes, I know exactly where I was. I know exactly where I was. I know what I was doing. I know who I was with. Like that album is so good. I bought it twice. I bought the repress too. Yeah. Well, it's two more, two more joints. I bought it for so, the two songs. You know. I bought it for the, I bought it for the two <laughs> songs. I noticed though in the, in the marketing material, you call it one of the rawest East Coast rap records ever recorded and that always stuck to me because i'm like well scott's worked on the infamous he's worked on cuban links is he saying that this album stands up against that like who came up with that description um i mean you know again like i i i, I was very much as a you know I, I i like later on i got into like more or less um and groups there's something about a group. I, I I like solo MCs. Don't get me wrong, but the essence of the group, right? And then the essence of not just a group where like one guy is dope, other guy's okay, other guy you don't really fuck with. You know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna say no groups like that, but you there's groups like that. And 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 I was always about groups that where they complemented each other. You know what I'm saying? So when you hear the, the, the whole essence of the clan, why the clan is dope, is this nine dudes that actually complement each other with nine different styles. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I felt about the UN. They were four different dudes that complemented each other with four different styles, but when they came together, it, it, it gelled, and it sounded like it just fit. You know what I'm saying? And, um, um, yeah, and I, I will put them up against anybody. Like, I don't give a fuck. You can't find me four dudes and no group that could fuck with the UN. And then, then I mean, you guys is over here wilding out over 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 one member, Rock Marcy. He the only one that really kept it moving, you know, post after that album or whatever. But he's one, he's one part. You see his arm, his arm says UNM, real big. He's 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 25% of a of an ill fucking unit that you'll never get again. And that's why that album is crazy. I mean, when you, I, I tried to get another UN album. Really? You know but at this point, I tried. But like, look, man, people have lives and people have different interests. By the end of that album, it's like, yo, Mike Roy was 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 doing his thing in the street, man. He was getting that crop. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
Like, you know, he, he need the rap money. You know what I'm saying? Um, Dino Bray was, you know, on his come up in school and, and, and doing his thing. And Laku was just Laku. Laku was like the old dirty bastard, man. You never knew where he was going to be when he would show up or whatever. And, you know, when you got to count off three other elements to get your project done, it is what it is. And, and, and so, you know, rock as a soloist got tired of just having to depend on his, you know, three other units, three other, three other members to get things done. And that spins off into Mossberg and, you know, and, 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 so that's how we kept it moving. You know, we made the Mossberg album, which was pretty much recorded in Electric Lady Studios. Yeah, you know, Legend- legendary it. studio. Legendary studio. You know what, Scott? You're really good at interviews, you know? And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because I've literally got a list of questions here and you're just telling the story and answering the questions without me asking the question. When you're telling the story and you're giving, you know, presenting... Um, facts or whatever there's just always like there's always so much background material and setup and you're asking me the right questions you're asking me what led to what and what possessed me to do what and you know you're giving me a chance to actually clarify why certain moves were made and why certain moves weren't you know what i'm saying so going back to that like i said like how do we not have another un album right i mean and you know you know i had to answer your question which was basically you know um the other three didn't have as much drive as rock, you know what I'm saying? And, and that led us into the Mossberg album, um, which we had originally signed, um, to SRC records. And, um, I'll be honest, like, you know what I mean? Steve Rifkin at this point, he had dropped the ball. You know what I mean? He was over here pushing Asher Roth and shit like that. And I'm over here like, look, I'm about to give you another loud record for real, for real. I even wanted to go to Sony and get permission to put the loud logo on rock's album. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And so once, once I couldn't, really, I couldn't really get Steve's attention to really sit down and analyze that album. I, you know, I lost my temper with him. You know, we didn't, we, we didn't talk for a while. I had to call my old boss, Rich Isaacson to get, get us out of the deal to get our masters back. I gave rock the masters. I just said, I want my executive production credit. He said, cool. And they took it to Fat Beats and the rest is history. And look where we are. Look where we are. Look what that album brought to the game. I'm going to I'm gonna go on record and say, I think it's probably the most influential indie underground hip hop album in the last 10 years. You said it. I, I ain't saying That's the you word. I'm it, not the so, only one. You know, I'm I, not I, the only one, Scott. I, well, well we, we see what a lot of what it spawned, it spawned, I think it definitely plays a part in spawning movements like Griselda, you know, um, um, and, and, and other just underground, just pure hip hop cats that don't have to, again, go in and overthink too much. They can just do them. And I think that's what rock kind of represented was just like, you know, I don't have to bend over backwards for radio play. I'm not worried about, you know what I mean? Like, sample bullshit and all of that. I'm just going in to make art and, you know, however I feel, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some people out there that are appreciating it and feeling the same way I feel. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, what is it called? It's, 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 it's not, it's uncensored. It's un, you know what I'm saying? It's not, you know, there's, there's no holdback. There's nothing holding him back from being creative. Whatever he wants to do, he does. And, and, and I, I, that's what I see from, like I said, a lot of the new artists these days that are dope. It's just like, whatever they're feeling, they can do it. 
you know, um, there's no rules. There's no, you know, you got to have a kick, snare, drum, hi-hat, bass line has to sound like this, da-da-da-da. There's no rules, you know, just go in and, and make art. And, um, you know, that's what that's what Marcy brings to the game, you know. Um, you know, if you go back and you listen to old school rock Marcy from the U.N., you know, U.N., I do miss that hunger sound from him, you know. He, he, he definitely sounded very hungry now he's in his bag he's in his element he's the most relaxed mc out there and you know can can spit crazy bars at you just you know with his feet up you know what i mean it's really nothing if you go back to the un days you could see that he's 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 like he sounded like that dude that was waiting around the corner to to rob your ass like you know what i'm saying (laughs) like you know you you hear the hunger when yeah, I listen man. to him on the UN and I listen to some of his earlier flip mode stuff, you can definitely, you can hear the difference, but I do love the new stuff, but it reminds me of Biggie's voice on Ready to Die. It was a lot more high pitched and paranoid. Right. And then when you get to like Big Papa right. and then um, Life After Death, m- more relaxed, more confident. And I just feel like, you know, if there's, if there is such a thing, Rock Marcy's just like in his Biggie phase. He's, he knows who he is. He's enjoying himself. It's working. Right. So knows what knows what his what his base loves and you know like i said he's in, he's in his bag right now you know i just i guess was listening to mount marcy and you know you know he he's just as comfortable as ever mm. you know what i'm saying like you know and 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 again this is it's like donald trump man like he knows <laughs> how to feed his base right he knows he knows how to give him that red meat you know what i'm saying so shout out to my man marcy man Word up, wishing him well in the new project. Everybody should go get that. It's available, I believe, on his website now. Yeah, we just we just spoke to Jake One actually, who did a track for it. Ah, right, right. I did see, I did see he was credited on that. Word. Yeah. Shout out to Jake One. Scott, I just want to say on behalf of myself and my co-host Summit and just people who grew up on what we grew up on and the music that you made, we just want to say thank you. I really appreciate you. Um, what you and Matt did and what Loud Records did, you you essentially soundtracked my life. You made my teen years so exciting. You helped me get through my 20s. And even when I was in my 30s, regretting what I did in my 20s, your music was still so important. And I just want to give you your flowers and just say thank you for all the art that you put together. I still listen to it today. Thank you, the music you created, it's, it's so important in my relationship with my wife because we both feel so similarly and strongly about what you made. Thank you, man. I, I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for giving my flowers now, man. And uh, let me say this. Um, I remember plenty of times uh, we were making a lot of those records. None of those records were ever handed in on time um, because I think that Matt and I had an idea that, like, you know, as record collectors ourselves, um, you know, we know that dope material we had a chance to make something that was going to last forever. And we wanted everything to be right from the packaging to the sound to, to whatever else. And um, number one, I'm just fortunate to be in a position to have had a hand and play a role in, in, in doing those things. Um, but, um, you know, again, I, I always kind of felt like everything that we made, whether it was the gold and platinum records or, you know, just the hot underground records, i.e. the cellar dwellers. I, I, I always wanted to be able to, like, you know, stand up and, 
talk to a guy like you 25, 30 years later and be like, this is why I fuck with it. This is why I still fuck with it. And I still think it'll knock out half the shit out here, even now, 25 yeah. years later. And that's what it, that's really what it was all about, man. Just the, like this moment right here is to be able to sit with a guy like you and be like, yo, I grew up on that shit. I respect that shit. I love that shit. Yeah, and I still every, play. Like, every day I was listening to Drop a Gem on him just yesterday. Crazy. That's how we roll. crazy. I would say, I would say too, there's, there's, there was definitely something. It's like looking at uh, like Mike Tyson in the, in the, in the late eighties, you know what I'm saying? Until he lost to Buster Douglas or whatever. But um, in the, in the mid, in the mid nineties, um, P was the was the Tyson the rap man, like you know what I mean. I mean he he changed and evolved because he you know he he you know he he had kids he he, he ascertained knowledge he had you know a different outlook on 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 his health and and all these things. So he wasn't quite the I don't give a fuck I might die tomorrow type of MC later on in his life. But when he was and didn't give a fuck and was on that, like you said them them. Three seminal albums, like from his so his solo album, of course, but also the infamous um, 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 mur- uh, murder music and hell on earth. He's 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 the illest MC. Like, and there was nothing like being in the studio. I can't explain that to everybody, but that feeling of being in the studio with Mob Deep in that era and havoc at the boards doing his thing. And just everybody, the whole crew, the whole infamous crew sitting in the studio waiting for Prodigy to walk in that fucking room. Like, and every time he walked in for those, all three of those albums, four of those albums, it was knockout blows only. Yeah. Straight up. I, I said, um, up. I said to one of my podcasting friends yesterday, talking about the Mob Deep albums, and I made a case. I said, between 95 and 2000, Prodigy was the best MC on planet Earth. Period, period. He eat and he chew anybody. I mean, ain't go. You remember the time he jumped on the LL joint and 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 went at and went at Keith Murray on and the Keith same Murray went track? before him. <laughs> <laughs> wild. He was wild. You know what I'm saying? He was. You know, he 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 was. Yeah, man. You prodigy, man. There's, there's only one, man. The only the only. You know what I mean? You'll never get another one, man. Never, never. Just before we just before we wrap up though, um, I know I was gonna say some of the slept on loud records releases. And I just wanted to because I don't think I mentioned them. I'm gonna go with Wild Cowboys, said so that X. I spent years looking for that and I finally got a hard copy. You got you got you got it on vinyl? Oh, C D. C D, okay. Yeah, I got it on C D and I'm gonna go with this is a wild card, because I've been looking for this person. Davina, best of both worlds, the R and B album. Shout out to Mojo Nicosia, who uh, who who signed Davina to Loud, who was actually uh, um, was um, um, he was our dude at RCA that basically helped break the wool. He was the uh, uh, head of national at RCA Urban, and then we lured him over to Loud Records. And once he came aboard, um, yeah, he wanted he was he was fascinated by this this girl named Davina from uh, out out west and. Um, you know, the rest is history. We we okayed it. He signed it, developed it, and you know, yeah, yeah. Davina was love that album and Adriana Evans. You guys, you guys had a little a little flirtation with R and B, but you put out two classic albums in the R and B world. Adriana Evans was signed by DJ P Paul Stewart P and P Records, which was a division of Loud. 
which was mostly based out here in California. Um, me and Maddie, we, 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 you know, we wanted to do an R&B record. You know what I'm saying? Um, the cat that I was, I spent, I spent two years looking for to sign and could not find him was a guy by the name of Carl McIntosh. I wanted to bring back um, a Lucifer's oh, wow. album. I wanted to do it. That was one of my my unfulfilled uh, dreams that never came to was I wanted to find loose ends and I wanted to, you know, call Macintosh to come aboard, sign loud and make a, and make an album. So we found him a lot later on down the line, but just him as an individual, he was out here in Cali. I got, I got some like unreleased loose end stuff that never came out. That's on files right now. You know what I'm saying? That's dope as hell. And um, I, I think that, um, He's to me, you know, if you if you if you look at if you have the the look how long album, um, that album to me is 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 seminal because he he changed the drum game with R and B. You know what I'm saying? This is this is you know we talk about the Teddy Riley era and all of that. Like when he came with stuff like "Don't Be a Fool" and and cheap talk and and all of that. Like yo, the drum game. Like it's my first time hearing ill-programmed drums on an R&B album. You know what I'm saying? So for all you cats that fuck with R&B or whatever, go back if you don't have it and pick up the Look How Long album and remember that that album was put out in 1989. You know what I mean? Maybe 90. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, so he, yeah, I... Shout out to Carl McIntosh and Lucy. No doubt, all day. Scott, I'm going to do the outro again properly. Um, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Thank you so much for your time. Um, This has been 25 years in the making for me. I really appreciate you and you have love and support in the UK. If you need anything on this side of the river and when the pandemic is over and you ever come to the UK, make sure you reach out. You can come over to the crib. We can have some chicken and listen to some, some hell on earth and, you know, powwow and all that good stuff, you know? Absolutely. And vice versa, man. You come out, do you ever make it out to California, man? Holla at your boy, man. We'll do. I I think I'm going to be out there next year. So I'll, I'll hit you up. Hit me, bro. Once again, big up to Scott Free for taking the time out to reminisce with us about Loud Records' history and for highlighting his contributions to the game. If you're like me, you're probably going to end up pulling out some of those classic albums that we talked about, get reacquainted with the liner notes and recognise the levels of Scott Free. It's going to be a good time. It will take a long time, but knock yourself out. Shout out to Matty C as well. He deserves more than a mention, so hopefully sooner than later, we can have him on the podcast and give him his flowers then. Lastly, go to www.frozenfiles.net to catch up and keep up with everything that Scott Free's got going on. All support is appreciated. I'm not just saying this as some cute byline or some way to end the show. We really do appreciate all the support the love, the feedback, and you can keep it going because we are on the socials. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Break the Atoms. You can reach out to Summit personally at Hip Hop Chronicle, and you can connect with me, Kinetic, Chris Mitchell, the actual factual, whatever you want to call me, at I Am Kinetic. Summit will be back next week for another episode, and until then, we're just going to be learning to live and survive this UK lockdown Take care of yourselves. This is sounding like a Jerry Springer outro. I was going to say take care of yourselves and each other, but you know, you know, same rules apply, I guess. Until next time, peace. Peace.